Well, welcome to The View. We are glad that you are here tonight. I hope that you have had a really great Monday. I hope your day has gone well. Come make some noise for being in the house of the Lord. Amen. Come on, welcome. Thank you for being here tonight. I, I do hope that you have had a great day. I hope that the weather is treating you nice as it slowly gets cooler in Memphis and everybody said amen. We're almost to cooler weather. I appreciate you being here tonight to worship alongside of us. If I have not met you yet, my name is Daniel Harris and I'm the pastor here of The View and we're a part of Bellevue Baptist Church and we're so thankful that you've chosen to worship with us and to spend your Monday night opening up God's word together. Uh, I'm excited because of our sermon series. We've been walking through the book of Acts and it's been such a blessing to look at what God has for us each week um, over the last couple of weeks to see what he has for us. And I'm excited for where he takes us tonight. Now, listen, as we say every week, I want to take a moment and I want to tell you a little bit about our ministry and how to connect. Because some of you, it's your first time. Some of you have been coming for a few weeks. Some of you are just now getting connected. And you are wanting to know how to really take a next step uh, with us in our ministry. And so the first way is if you have not connected, if you're a guest, if this is your first time, maybe second, third, and you haven't connected with us, you can stop by the table at the back. I would love to meet you. My staff would love to hear your story. We would love to get connected with you. Uh, so, man, please, if this is your first time, stop by and get to know us. We would love to get to know you. But the second thing is, it's going to be a part of my sermon tonight, is our life groups are launching back for the first time on Thursday nights this week. Can we make some noise for that coming back this week? Amen. They're back. And uh, what we want to do is what we've done is we've made these cards up that we can give out. And this is digital as well. But what we've done is we've made these cards and they look like this. You may have gotten one from Aliana or Gavin on the way in. And these cards have a little bit of information on them about how to connect in a deeper way. So Monday night, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in this room. It's hard to really get connected if this is your only space. But what we do in our ministry is we provide groups and we provide resources so that you can grow in an even greater way. I just spent time with some people who serve with us hearing how groups changed their testimony. And so on the back of this card, it has information about Thursday nights, has information about Sunday mornings here at Bellevue. It also has resources such as our podcasts and resources that we send out on our website. I would love for you to consider getting involved with us Thursday night in our small groups. I would love for you to consider taking that next step with us. Maybe you've just been here on Mondays and you've loved it, and you've loved being a part of Monday nights, and you've heard about life groups, you don't really know what it is. Well, Thursday night is here at Bellevue, second floor, right above this room, right there. We're going to be here, and here's the deal. If you show up Thursday night at 7 o'clock, here's what I can guarantee. You're going to find a small group for your gender and for your age. So girls, we have groups for you. Guys, we have groups for you. And this is a real incredible way to be known and to get to know others. And so, man, I want to encourage you, before we talk about Acts chapter 3, before we talk about friendship, man, if you want to take that next step, if you want to get plugged in with us, there's a table in the back right after this. We would love to get your number and text you some of this information so you can get connected. And so I'm excited for tonight. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll get as excited as you can. We talked about this last week. We'll get excited for the word. Open up with me to Acts chapter 3 tonight. Amen. Come on, Acts chapter 3. This is week 3 of our sermon series, which has been titled, Be a Blessing. And the series has very much an outward focus it has a focus on the early church and what it means to really impact others for the gospel. And so the first two weeks, we talked about being a witness from Acts chapter 1. We talked about sharing Jesus, telling people the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And then week two, we talked about being a member, being a part, an active team member of the local church. And tonight, I want you to write this down at the top of your notes. The title is Be a Friend. The title for tonight is Be a Friend. And I want to be very honest from the start about this topic tonight. I want to be very direct with you on friendships, if that's okay. And here's why. 
I'm sure, I hope I get an amen for this. How people treat you matters. All of us want to be treated well. And if that's the case, that means this next statement is true. How you treat others matters too. And man, let me tell you something. This sermon is important because we live in a world that is not very kind and compassionate a lot of times. Isn't that true? I'm sure that you and your family have been through some stuff. People, including us in this room, can be very mean, hurtful, and selfish. It's a part of our fallen nature. People can just flat out be rude to each other and very inconsiderate to each other. This is not a 2023 problem. At Jesus' day, they had the same issues. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees lived hypocritical lives, condemning those who were underneath them, using the religious standards and the religious law to oppress those underneath who were trying to follow and obey. Leaders in that day, even non Godly leaders oppressed people. There were people who were lepers and they were exiled from society. If you had leprosy, you could not be a part of society anymore. You would not be talked to. You would not be touched. You would be exiled from society completely. There was racial tensions 2,000 years ago, just as there are racial tensions today in America. At that time in Jesus' day, the racial tensions between the Jews and Samaritans was thick. The Jews hated the Samaritans. There was racial tension that happened in Jesus' day. I wrote this down. Religious leaders were so confident in their religious ways that they couldn't even see God himself before them when they were face to face with Jesus. And isn't that a great shame? To miss God because of religion. And it's amazing to think how we often hear that Jesus' teaching was radical. And it very much is. But in that day, it's crazy to think how shook they were at Jesus' teaching When he said, and you'll remember this if you know a little bit of the word, the greatest commandment, number one, is to what? It's not a trick question. Love God. He said the greatest commandment is to love God. Now, it's not a trick question either. What's the second greatest commandment? Okay, we got that one, right? Love your neighbor, the radical teaching. And that's so radical because as humans, we often don't love our neighbor. Now, in 2023, we face the same hurtfulness Today, we face the same kind of betrayal, the same kind of pain, the same kind of hurt. We, we have friendship issues that come up. We wish our friendships would always go well. And sometimes they do, but oftentimes we face conflicts and we face uh, situations that we have to solve with other people. Sometimes we're rude to people. Some people. Sometimes people are rude to us. Some of the things I wrote down as I was thinking about 2023, what we see is that we often don't love our neighbor, but we're quick to condemn our neighbor. We're quick to look at somebody's life and say, my sins are not as bad as their sins. And I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's others in this room who struggle with that. We don't always love our neighbor because we're too busy competing with our neighbor. Social media is a real trap in our, in our country, isn't it? We, we so often want to compete with others about the way our lives look on social media. It's, it's so dangerous. And we end up competing with social media and salaries and careers and all these different things. We often don't love our neighbor because we're too busy criticizing our neighbor, right? If they don't share our political views, if they don't share our beliefs, then they're not somebody... I have to love. And what I wrote down after looking at Acts 3 is what would our city, what would our community or our city look like if we didn't condemn, if we didn't criticize, but if we loved our neighbors with the love of Jesus? What would our communities look like? I think they would look radical. This means you don't need a house to have a neighbor. This means you don't need to have land to have a neighbor. This means that anybody you come in contact with who is right next to you that was made in the image of God, which includes everybody, is your neighbor. And you are a neighbor to somebody else. And the Bible says that we're called to love our neighbor. 
See, Jesus, what I love is when he gave that scripture, and I'm going to show it to you so you can see it before we dive into Acts 3. When he gave that scripture about loving your neighbor, we often want to pretend there's exceptions that follow up, right? Love your neighbor as long as they're not poor, because the poor can't do anything for you, right? <laughs> Love your neighbor as long as they got something they can offer you, right? No, Jesus never, Sam, followed up with any, expe- any exceptions to it. He just said, love your neighbor. Not love your neighbor if they agree with you biblically and politically and all these things. No, he just said, love your neighbor. He didn't say, love your neighbor if they love me. He just said, love your neighbor. Even if they persecute you and they hate me, love your neighbor. And here's the command. I want you to see this. This is Matthew 22, because this is going to set up the night for us. Matthew 22, verse 35 to 40. Here it is. And one of them, who was an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. He said, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most commandment. The second is like it. It's similar. And it's love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. He just said, love your neighbor. There's no exceptions to it. So how do we be a friend in 2023? If you have somebody in your life that's been a godly friend to you, raise your hand so I can see you. Man, somebody, we've got good friends in here. Praise God. How do we be a godly friend in 2023? Because what I love is 2,000 years ago in Acts chapter 3, coming off of our passage from last week about the early church in Acts 2, where they were devoted, it said that signs and wonders happened throughout them. Well, in Acts chapter 3, it shows one of those signs and wonders. Peter and John tonight, they make a choice in Acts chapter 3. A choice that I'm praying shakes you a little bit to your core, makes you and me ask the question, how do we treat others in our life? They're going to choose to be, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, they're going to choose to be a friend to the friendless. They're going to choose to hug somebody that nobody else hugs. They're going to choose to love and to give to somebody that nobody else wants to love and give to. Will you and me make that same choice? And so look with me at Acts chapter 3. This is directly following the verses that we ended with last week. Coming directly off of, if you want to look at the very last verse of chapter 2, where we stopped reading, verse 47. Here's the conclusion of that chapter. It said, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then this verse right here is very pivotal to last week. It said that every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the church is growing. The people are united. A lot of ministry is being done. And now we get a real practical miracle happen in Acts chapter 3. Look with me, starting in verse 1, if you will. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now right here, this is very critical because you have to understand. Let's go back to verse 1. As they were going to the temple, there was a sacrifice that would happen in the temple right before this prayer. So it's very, very fascinating. Remember this. We're in the New Testament era here, okay? Jesus has come. He has fulfilled the law. He is the greatest sacrifice, right? His blood pays for your sins and my sins. And when he rose from the dead, we need no more sacrifices. So understand this. In the Old Testament, the, the, the animal sacrifices that they did in representation of the sin that they had that had to be paid for, when Jesus came, that was abolished. That's why we don't do any animal sacrifices anymore. We have the sacrificial lamb in Jesus. It's very important to realize that Peter and John did not go for the sacrifice. They went for the time of prayer. They continued in the New Testament to observe prayer, but they realized here in this moment that the animal sacrifices that were happening were no longer needed. The greatest sacrifice had happened. So they're going to the temple for prayer, but they're realizing that there's a greater, greater view of the gospel here at hand because of what Jesus has done. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering 
the temple. The gate of this would have been astounding to look at. It's described by having more silver and gold than any other gates. It would have been massive. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Verse 4, Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he asked for money, John, and immediately Peter and John said, hey, look at us. Eye contact. goes on to say this. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, you imagine being paralyzed. You imagine being incapacitated. And somebody says this to you in the name of Jesus, whether you had heard of Jesus or not. We don't know. But he says, in the name of Jesus, stand and walk. Something you cannot do. Do something that is impossible to you. And it's because of this name. That moment would have rattled you. We read the Bible and we're like, that's supposed to happen. This ain't supposed to happen. This is our God breaking the rules of what we see around us to show us just how great he really is. To show us that our world that we have come to know will bow down to him. Time, resources, everything will bow down to the Lord. He says, get up and walk. And then I love verse 7 because we're going to hone in on this tonight because it shows the great ministry that happens. It says, then taking him by the right hand, he grabs him, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. Now I wonder if Peter, I wonder if Peter, when he grabs this man by the hand, and pulls him out. I want to make a cross-reference for you. I want you to consider this. I wonder, I'm not reading in the scripture, I'm not adding to it, but I do wonder if Peter, who was a human being just like you and me, remembered his instances with Jesus. I wonder if he remembered when he was at sea. You know what I'm talking about, Ethan? The moment where the storm is hitting and Peter's doing ministry with Jesus and he's really trying to figure out, man, is this really the Messiah? Like he's getting to know Jesus personally. And he's walking on water to Jesus in the storm and he starts looking around him. And what does Peter do? Do you remember? Sinks. And then Jesus, what does he do? He comes to Peter when Peter can't get up, and Jesus extends his hand and pulls him up out of the water. I wonder if the experience that Peter had doing ministry with Jesus is coming into play here. Because when Peter, now, after Jesus has ascended and is in heaven, Peter has the Holy Spirit, Bryson, living inside of his body. And he is probably, let's hope, remembering these moments of ministry with Jesus. And he's saying, you know what? If Jesus raised me up at a time when I couldn't raise myself up, and now Jesus has ascended and he's promised us the power of his spirit, then, man, what can I do for this man? And he grabs his hand and he raises him. What a picture. Now to go from Jesus raising Peter when Peter couldn't walk on water to Peter raising this man to quite literally walk when he couldn't walk is an amazing miracle. And it goes to show the power, and I don't want to get too off here, the power of discipleship. That what Jesus imparted to Peter in his journey is now carrying into acts to impact somebody else. And Jesus physically himself is not on the scene here. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit is present in Peter. That's an amazing thing. Don't miss that. So Peter pulls him up. He does the ministry. He's right there with him. He cares enough to make contact, real contact. Verse, where am I at, team? Y'all help me out. I'm getting passionate. Verse 7, I haven't finished this verse, thank you. Taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. Now let me point one more thing out to you here that's really cool. Acts was written by who? Good, Luke, Bible trivia. You get some candy afterwards. Luke. Luke was his profession. Do you know what his profession was? He was a doctor, right? So what's really cool about the imagery here, 
as Luke writes this and talks about how he, can we go back to verse 7 at the end of the verse? <clears throat> it says his feet and ankles became strong. There's a real cool description and play on words here. It's this idea of like your joint, like popping in upright to a position where you can move. You can imagine like your ankle and your, and your feet and everything placing into position where you are ready to go. So he gives this imagery of not just that the feet and ankles on this man became strong, but that he literally locked into place and was ready to move. It's Luke's personality coming out and how he writes this. He's very specific with how he words this because he's trying to get a message across. Listen. It's not just that this man's feet and ankles and, and legs are about to be made upright again the way it should be. It's that because the Holy Spirit of God has gotten involved in this man's life, his now soul and his life is becoming to be upright because he is praising God. Hear me, God can take that which is, and here's your application, God can take that which is twisted, corrupt, and broken physically. He can heal it with a spiritual mindset at play. He will not only take your situations that are not upright and fix them to how they should be, he can take you and your trauma and your strongholds and fix you upright to where you need to be. And that's an amazing thing. Praise God we can make noise in church because, goodness, if you had gone through this, you would have a whole lot more celebration over the fact that it happened to you. But because we read it in Scripture on a Monday night 2,000 years later, we miss it. I hope and pray that we don't. I'll move off this verse. I've stayed too long. Verse 8. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Notice, not praising Peter. No, 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 no. Not praising John. No, 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 no. Who's he praising? He's praising the Lord. God's done a work. Verse 10, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. I've got a few things for you. Let's pray and I'm going to give them to you right now. Father, we love you. Lord, we know that you have brought us here tonight for a reason. Lord, we know that we have gathered tonight to hear your word, to worship you, to pray, and to be with people who are trying to do the same. And Lord, I pray for anyone in a room this size, for anybody who doesn't know you personally, that you would reach down from heaven and touch their heart, that they would give their lives to Jesus tonight. And Lord, we do pray that you would have your way, that you would have every word tonight. Lord, shape us and mold us to be like your son. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Well, number one, let's dive in. Number one, see people the way God sees them. Number one, see people the way God sees them. If we are going to be a friend, if we're going to be a godly friend that makes an impact, that makes a difference, it starts with your eyes. It starts with your sight. It starts with how you see people. It starts with how I see people. And so number one, see people the way God sees them. I think one of the most important things about Peter and John here is that they make direct eye contact with this man. People want to be seen and heard. That's not a new concept. It's been around for thousands of years. It's still around today. We want to be seen and we want to be heard. And I think most importantly, we want to be known. There's not a person in this room who would claim that they don't want to be seen and known by at least somebody. And what I know is that we all can tell when someone is actually listening to us and when they're not, can't we? Think about your coworkers. Think about your classmates. Think about your family. If you got siblings, you know this to be true. You know when they're listening and when they're not. See, to find out if somebody is really listening to you, you don't need to look at their ears. Where do you need to look? The eyes, right? The eyes of a person in conversation tell a lot. And none of us are perfect. We've all done this, Cam. But, man, a lot of us 
tell whether we're listening or not by our eyes. You ever talk to somebody and they ask you a question, they go, man, so, so where are you from? Oh, cool, for real? That's great. I love Kentucky. Oh, you said Texas. My bad. I wasn't listening. <laughs> you ever have somebody say, man, so what are you studying in, in your degree? Oh, cool. I hate nursing, too. My gosh. <laughs> the eyes are a giveaway. I've done it. You've done it. We've had people do it to us. And that communicates a message. It communicates that the person we're not listening to is not worth our direct eye contact. That communicates a message. It communicates that when you're talking to somebody and everything else is going on, that they're not worth your undivided attention. It's so funny because now everybody's in the rooms like right here with me. <laughs> it communicates a message. And when Acts chapter 3, the very first thing they do is they look at this man and they say, look at us. Look. Peter and John don't see this miracle happen by saying, hey, look at us, man, and then go on to something else. No, they're locked in with this person. Locked in. I'll never forget this story. Many of you know I coached high school basketball for a number of years at Bartlett High School. And we had players who some of them would get scholarships. Some of them would go play at really high levels. Some of them, that was their last game was that senior year. And I'll never forget, we had a player a few years ago who could have played college ball. He's really good. We had some Division I scouts come and watch him. They came and watched him practice, and they came and watched him play. And I got to be a part of this. It was a really cool experience to talk to them, to soak it up, to learn. And the most shocking thing was, and if you play any kind of sports or clubs, you know this, what we thought the scouts were looking for was very far from what we thought they were actually looking for. They scouted this guy. They watched the whole game. And then I got to talk to the scouts afterwards. I saw the clipboard that they were writing on, the iPad that they had, whatever it may be. And I didn't see anything written down. I'm telling you guys, it's a true story. I didn't see anything written down about talent. I didn't see anything written down about ability. They knew that already. But I kid you not, at the top of his iPad, I'm kidding you not, at the top of his iPad, it said this about him. They had watched him the whole game. They watched him when on the, he was on the bench. They watched him go in for halftime. They watched him come out. And the most prominent thing on their, on their iPad, now remember, this is thousands and thousands of dollars at stake. This is a full-ride scholarship to a Division I school at stake. And this is what they cared about. They wrote on the iPad, it said, player didn't look eye-to-eye with his coach one time when being coached on the bench. Player didn't look one time eye-to-eye with his coach when being coached on the bench. That's the biggest thing they walked away with. Why? Because you can go find, listen, I'm talking basketball here. You can go find 6'11". You can go find shooting. You can go find ability and talent. What you can't find that's hard in our world today is going to find somebody who has discipline. Oh, it's hard to find somebody with character. And it's a whole lot harder to find players who are going to listen and be locked in with you. The kid they were most impressed with that night couldn't play a lick of basketball. But they said, I'll tell you what, every single time, he was a 10th grade, they said every single time he came to the bench and a coach talked to him, he didn't break eye contact. Eye to eye the whole time. You're telling me what I need to do? You're coaching me? I'm right here with you. Kid didn't get the scholarship. Why? They don't want that a part of their culture. They don't want you in college sitting on the bench not listening to the coach. They want you locked in. And I think about in the church world, I think about how when we come in and we talk to new people sometimes and we're engaging with them, I wonder how many of us are talking to people and we're doing this. I'm guilty of it. Just looking all around. You look in scripture, Jesus was focused and present with every person he was around. Jesus had no problem with his day or his agenda being interrupted because his agenda was the people anyway. It was never an interruption to Jesus when somebody came up to him in need because that's why he was here. Peter and John didn't look at this moment where they could throw a little bit of silver and gold to get him to be quiet. They didn't look at it as a time to brag about who they were or a time to ignore him. 
like we see in the Good Samaritan parable. They look eyeball to eyeball with him. And because it starts there, it starts eye to eye, a miracle comes out of it. Now let me ask you a hard question. Do you ever make people, on purpose or accident, feel like they're not really seen by you? I do sometimes. When you're talking to somebody, somebody who is made in the image of God, somebody who has a story and a journey just like you do, do you ever make them feel like, man, you're not really worth my undivided attention? Man, you know what? I love what you got going on, but my agenda, my plan, my schedule, my time, that's always going to reign supreme to me. And if so, I just want to ask you, are you okay with that? Or would you dare to say, you know what, Daniel? Sometimes my agenda and my plan and my schedule takes precedent too often. Sometimes I miss the person that's directly in front of me because I got way too much going on. And I need to slow it down. Peter and John, they look at this man, they say, look at us. The paralyzed man was not respected by the world, but they gave him respect. The paralyzed man, and I hope that you don't miss this, may have been down on the ground. But Peter and John did not consider him too lowly to speak to. I wrote this down in my notes. It hurt me. Don't ever place yourself too high to see people below you because God can lower you real quick. The Bible says you humble yourself, God exalts you. You exalt yourself and God humbles you. I think I have 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 that will come up on the screen. It says this, see what great love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. And I think we have Colossians 3, verse 12. It says this, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, here's what you should do. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want to ask you guys seriously, and I want you to respond back. Do you see compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in this text from Peter and John, yes or no? And what comes out of it? A miracle. Somebody's life has changed. Somebody went from limping to leaping. Somebody went from paralyzed to praising. Somebody went from laying outside the temple to dancing in the temple because somebody took the time to have faith in Jesus and show compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience to somebody else around them. College students, you have the power from the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, in you to change the trajectory of somebody else's life because God sees us as a chosen race, a royal priesthood. God sees us as people who are worth purchasing through the blood of Jesus on the cross. God sees us as worthy to proclaim his glory because he has called us out of darkness and he has called us into marvelous light. He sees us as that way. He sees us as worthy of his time. He sees us as worthy of his attention, worthy of his affirmation, his preaching, and his love. And it started eye to eye. My first day at kindergarten, I was a wreck. (laughs) I don't know how you were when you went to school. I struggled to stay at the night at people's houses. I didn't want to be away from mom and dad. You may have been that bold kid that could sleep anywhere. I like to be at home. I like to be with my mom and dad. I would get homesick really easy. If you didn't sleep over, I was a kid that was like, it was like 12 o'clock, and I was like, can we call my mom? I want to go home, you know. I'd have fun till midnight, and then I'm like, all right, I am not in my bed. My dad is not here. My mom is not here. I need to go home, <laughs> you know. And kindergarten, I was a wreck. I got, my mom took me to Miss Harville's class. She's a pretty good teacher. That might be somebody's relative in here so she was a great teacher and 
my mom, we went to, and my mom remembers this, she remembers clear as day, went to Bartlett Elementary on the first day of kindergarten, and I was a wreck, man. I, I saw everybody in the class, I realized what was happening, I was like, oh, I'm getting dropped off here, like, mom's leaving, I'm staying, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> uh, we have a conflict here, and I start crying, man, just a few thug tears, not many of them, just a few, a few just to let it out, and uh, I'll never forget this moment. The reason why I remember this moment as an adult is because I've worked so many kids' camps now. I've worked kids' camps in Denver. I've worked Camp Outrageous. I've worked kids' camps for seven years now. And I've seen so many parents drop their kids off, and sometimes they're in a, in a rush or whatever, and I won't get into that. But as an adult, this moment has been a lot to me. When I started crying, this is what my mom did. My mom didn't push me in the classroom. And this was 2000, so you could have gotten away with that. <laughs> she would have smacked me upside the head, and it would have been fine. The teacher would have been like, <laughs> you know. My mom didn't push me in. She didn't say, why are you crying? What's wrong with you? Look at these other kids. They're not crying. What's wrong with you? Nope, nope, nope. My mom, she did, she did what a good mom does. You remember this mom? She came over to me and she got down on one knee. <sighs> right there, eyeball to eyeball with me. Uh, I, and she looked at me and she's, she wiped my tears first. And this is what she said. She said the best thing that a homesick kindergartner can hear from their mom. You ready for this? This is what she said. She said, I'll be back to get you soon enough. I ain't leaving you here for good. <laughs> and I said, praise God. <laughs> Because these snotty-nosed kids, I ain't staying with them. I was the only child at that time, too. So I had it made, team. All right? I had it made. My mom said it to me. She got on my level, eye to eye. And my whole life as an adult, I, you don't forget moments like that. Because when somebody gets eye to eye with you, here's the real thing. When somebody meets you on your level where you are, you tend to remember that. You tend to hold on to that. You don't often forget when somebody comes down to your level and looks eye to eye with you sees you where you are, comforts you, loves you. You don't forget those moments. And I kid you not, every single time I work at kids' camp and I see kids getting dropped off, I think about that moment with my mom. And that's the question I want to ask you. It's like, if you get eye to eye with the people in your life, if you dare to say, you know what, my life's not too important. I'm going to get involved in somebody else's. I'm going to meet somebody else where they are right now. They're not going to forget that. They're going to remember that. That's going to mean something to them. Even if it means nothing to you, you would say that meant nothing to me. My mom was just probably thinking, you know what, I got to calm Daniel down so I can go on about my day. But it meant everything to me. What if you get eye to eye with somebody, meet them where they are, and it becomes a big part of their testimony, and it has nothing to do with you, but they walk away just as this man did, not praising you, but praising God. Was it worth it? See, those are the things that will carry over to the next life. Not your house, not your salary, not your car, not your clothes. What will carry over to the next life is the, the impact that you make right here and right now. Peter and John, they say, look at us. This man was worth their undivided attention. The man who was begging for mercy, begging for money, I'm sorry. The man who was begging for money just wanted his condition to be maintained. He wasn't begging for a miracle. He wasn't begging for a doctor. Don't miss that. The man was just begging for money so he could get by. And this encounter changes everything for him. Let's read again here, starting at verse 4. I'm sorry, starting at verse 6. Here's Peter's response to him, okay? Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. So number two, give to people the way God gives to them. If you want to be a friend, if you want to be a godly friend, give to people the way God gives to them. So number one, let's recap. We gotta see people the way God sees them. There is no margin. There is no opportunity for you to make an, inter- an eternal impact on somebody else's life. There's no way to give if you cannot see. You have to see and you have to be willing to give. 
And what we have to do as believers, what we see in Acts chapter 3, is we have to give to people the way God gives to them. Not the way we want to, not the way we think is best. We are called to give to people the way God gives to them. Now, as this man waits outside the gate, he is expecting people to give him money. It is not lost on him. He is expecting to walk away with money. Why is that? I mean, he has a real expectation. Hey, I am leaving here with money. Here's what I want you to understand, the context of the temple at this time. Giving to the poor was seen very much as a righteous act. It was an act of righteousness if you were to give to the poor. And at that time, there were many, many people, just like we do, we have in our day, who would give to the poor, not because they really want the poor to do better, but because of the thrill of somebody else seeing them be a good Samaritan, seeing them do an act of righteousness, right? Y'all with me? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. That's cool. We can try one more time. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. They want to be seen, right? They want to be seen giving to somebody. And that defeats the whole purpose of giving. What good is it to give if people walk away praising you and me? The real calling that we have on our lives is to give the way God gives. And that means we don't seek credit or recognition or affirmation for what we have done. In fact, if nobody knows, Scripture says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. If and nobody knows the goodwill and the good act of fortune that we do for somebody else, all the more better because then we don't even give them the temptation to praise us. They can only praise the Lord. So some of the biggest moments in my life where somebody impacted me was giving in a way that they never told and they would never want me to tell. You have the power to do that. Some of you are saying, Daniel, I'm a broke college student. I ain't got no money. My car is barely surviving. I got to have enough to put gas in it. And I also got to eat. I understand that. That's why I love to Peter and John speak on behalf of college students. I don't have silver or gold for you. But I do got something better. <laughs> what do you have? What do you have? If you're a Christian, like truly in your heart, you have the gospel that's far more valuable than any silver or gold because it's not going to decay with this earth. The gospel is going to outlast this earth. It's going to go forever. You have the gospel. More than that, though, you have time. Some of you got to get your calendar under, under control. Some of you, man, your calendar, I'm just being honest, I've been there. Some of you, man, your calendar is a mess. It's filled up. It's, it's just busy to the brim. There's no margin. And that's why I love you. Look at Peter and John. They're going to the temple to pray. But, man, they've got this margin. Like, they lost time with this man, however much it was. They lost time. They can't get back. And you know what? They're okay with that. A miracle happened. So you got time. You have words. Every single one of us in here, we have words that we can offer to somebody. That can be a building. That can be lifting. That can be encouraging. That can... Show somebody the love of Jesus. Man, would you use it in a way that would change somebody's life? That's a question only you can answer. What I do know is, I think, and I've talked about this with my wife over the last few days. I think and I believe one of the most valuable things you can offer somebody that's far more than silver or gold, far more than telling them the gospel of Jesus, is vulnerability. Now, let's define that for a minute. Because vulnerability can be very popular to talk about in our culture today. Vulnerability is not just emotions and tears. Is that included? Absolutely. But vulnerability is not just emotions and tears. And here's why. Vulnerability, God bless you. Vulnerability is far greater than emotions and tears. It's far greater than something like that. Here's what it is. I want to define it for you. I want to define it biblically, and then I want to define it overall for us tonight as college students. Jesus said in his sermon on the mount, you'll remember this. He said in one of his Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Do you remember that scripture? Anybody remember that? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, here's what's very fascinating. Meekness is different than weakness, all right? 
Being meek and being weak is very different. Being meek is a humility. It is a understanding that you are not going to use what you have to lord over or dominate other people. Being meek is not weak. Being meek is being humble, right? And so there's this idea in Jesus' Beatitudes of being lowly, not to the point where people walk all over you, but lowly to the point where you have a humility to you where others come first. You think about Philippians chapter 2, Gabby, where it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, right, count others more significant than yourself. You are, you are lowering yourself not for the point of lowering yourself. You're lowering yourself so that you can elevate others, ultimately so that they get closer to Jesus, right? John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. My name goes down, but as every time my name goes down, Jesus' name goes up. Now, this vulnerability, vulnerability at its core, when you look across scripture, is being willing to be honest about what is going on inside in your heart and your mind, and then giving somebody else a place to do the same. You see why that's not just emotions and tears? Because that could be a praise. Vulnerability is not just sorrow. Vulnerability is highs. It's mountaintops. Vulnerability is sharing like, man, I've prayed for my dad for seven years and he's really starting to show fruit in his life and praise God. And you being willing to open up and tell somebody that is vulnerability. And you know what it does? All of a sudden it connects you with somebody else who might be going through the same thing. One of the reasons why our generation is so lonely is because we're going through loneliness on our own. We're isolated quite literally in our isolation. We are not including anybody in our struggles. We are trying to power our way through and just do it by ourselves. But man, there is great vulnerability when you invite people in to be honest about what's going on in your heart and your mind. Now, a sermon like this that's very outward focused on being a friend, this is a great pit stop to say some of you need a friend. And listen, I don't, I don't know, I am not a prophet. Man, I, I don't have any more connection or super extra stuff with God than you do just because I'm a pastor. There is no difference to me. I'm a regular human being just like every pastor. But I'll tell you this, in this room I know there are people who need a godly friend tonight. Let's stop with the outward focus. Let's stop with what we need to be. And some of you need to realize quite literally that God is telling you right now, you are isolated, you are alone in something and you cannot do it on your own. You need help. You don't need to tell everybody but you need to tell somebody. And here's what I want to promise you. There is somebody in your life, somebody here tonight that loves you, that cares about you, that would listen to what you have going on if you would open up about it, if you would talk about it. You do not have to be alone. You hear that hush over the room? That's all of us, including me, needing a godly friend. Needing somebody we can go to and say, hey, you know what? I need to tell you, I've been wrestling with this darkness in my life and I need to do something about this. Will you help me? And then somebody you can trust to not go tell somebody that. There's some people in here who are beaten up, discouraged. There's some people in here who are mad at Christians, who are mad at the church or who are mad at their friends or who are mad at their family or who are just mad at somebody. You just got anger in you that you want to get rid of. Uh, friend, I'm telling you, you can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. But man, even practically, you need a godly friend to walk with you through that hand in hand. How how sad would it be for you to be wrestling with this in your heart tonight and to come here to a place like Monday night and walk out just as alone as when you came in? What if you talk to one person who is godly that loves you and they sit down and they, they get eye to eye with you and they love you and they care about you? You say, Daniel, I don't have anybody like that. Well, good. Me and my wife are here tonight. We would love to do that for you. We would love to be that for you tonight. And we won't tell anybody what you have going on. 
I disciple a few guys, and they know when we sit eyeball to eyeball, when we sit down, what we talk about at that table stays at that table. And normally, it's over chicken, cheese, and rice. And it stays at that table because that's how it should be. I'm telling you guys, I will lean into this because I am talking to somebody. Somebody needs a godly friend. You need somebody to show you Jesus. But you have to take a step. All over the Bible, it calls for faith. All over scripture, he calls us to take steps. He calls us to take steps forward towards that which is right. And that's what we're being called to do. And I want to tell you, for some of you, your call, your step tonight is to just seek a godly friend to help you. And it can make all the difference in the world. Now, I have no idea who I'm talking to. But the Lord does, and you know. This doesn't have anything to do with my sermon or anything to do with the view or Bellevue. But it has a lot to do with where you are in your journey. Don't keep walking in isolation. Reach out tonight to somebody, whether it's big or small. Maybe somebody made you mad at work today and you need to talk about it. You need to air it out. Air it out. Find a godly friend. Let them do it for you. If you don't have nobody, me and Hannah are here tonight. Maybe you got something that's real, a stronghold that's weighing on you, a sin that you can't get rid of, and you need somebody to pray over you. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another so that they may pray for you so that you may be healed. You ain't got to tell everybody, but you need to tell somebody. I'll move on. I'm praying, whoever the Lord is leaning into right now, please do not leave without taking that step of faith. I think the vulnerability in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 and 13 is very well described. This will be on the screen. It says this, we have spoken openly to you, Corinthians, Paul says. Our heart has been opened wide. Look at Paul's language here. Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, hey, as we ministered and as we did ministry and as we talked to you, we were open. We were not closed off. We were not divided. Our heart has been opened wide. Now look at what it says in verse 12. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. There's a lack of vulnerability. There's a lack of trust. There's a lack of affection happening. And then verse 13. Verse 13 says, I speak as to my children as a proper response. And then I love this. Open your heart to us. What is godly vulnerability? It is you opening your heart to someone else and giving them the space to do the same. That is how you can give to people the way God has given to them. I want to show you a clip. And our middle school pastor showed this clip, and I watched it this week. It's from The Chosen. I have not seen all of the show. Maybe you love The Chosen. But it's a very, very powerful clip that I want to show you. And before I do, I want to read you the scripture that it comes from. Because in this scene of The Chosen, it, it shows Jesus ministering to a leper. And you get to visually see this moment of what it would have been like to watch this, this scene unfold and how incredible this was. Let me read the scripture. And then we'll watch the scene and see if it's even accurate. The scripture comes from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. It says this. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying this to Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 3, reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let's go ahead and show this clip if we can. To spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't. Come any closer. It's okay, John. 
Rabbi, 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 you cannot this disease, you Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you can do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. an extra tunic. Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. this moment because what I wrote down is Jesus sees someone that no one else would see, but not only that, Jesus hugs someone that no one else would hug, and then scripture tells us that Jesus healed and loved someone that no one else could heal and that no one else would love. I want to tell you, Peter and John are regular humans and yet filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They see the same kind of miracle happen. You have the same Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you have faith and if you have Jesus, there is no limit to what you can do for the kingdom. And there's no limit for what Jesus can do with your heart and your mind where you need help. And then the last thing for tonight comes from verse 7. Look with me. Acts chapter 3 verse 7. Then taking him by the right hand, he lifted, he raised him up. 
And at once his feet and ankles became strong. Number three, lift people the way God lifts them. Lift people the way God lifts them. So three things tonight. See, give, and lift. How to be a godly friend from Acts 3. See people the way God sees them. Give to people the way God gives to them. And then lift people the way God lifts them. I love point three because Peter does not just tell this man what he must do, but he goes and becomes an active participant in helping him do what must be done. And how many of us are so quick to tell somebody what they must do, but to get into the thick of it, to get into the mess with them and help lift them is the real work of doing the ministry side by side with them. He goes and he lifts them and he raises them up. And I love this. This is what I said earlier. I'll say it again. This man went from limping to leaping, from paralyzed to praising, from laying down at the gate to dancing in the temple. Don't just talk about ministry, do ministry. Don't just show up to church, be the church. Don't just ask to be served, but go serve. And what you can do for the kingdom is not limited.